we're going to find great organizations that we can empower through funding, through training, through whatever they need. And with the generosity of our donors, we've been able to take many of these victims, turn them into survivors, and these survivors are now thrivers. And that's one of the best parts of this. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Before we get started on the podcast today, I just wanted to put a quick disclaimer out and tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about. So that way, if you have anybody underage or a young audience that you want to take a listen to this beforehand, before they listen to it, please do so. Um, today, I, my interview is with an Operation Underground Railroad representative named Matt Osborne, and we're going to be talking about human trafficking. And uh, that leads into, it, there's no uh, foul language on the podcast or anything like that, but it is a difficult topic and situation that we go into a little bit of. So I just wanted to put this on the beginning of the podcast. That way, if you're listening to it with a, a child or anybody underage or anybody who might uh, be affected by it, that you can kind of listen to it ahead of time and then uh, decide if it's right for them to listen to. I think that everybody should hear this. Everybody uh, needs to hear these kind of messages and, and what we're talking about, but it is definitely a heavy topic. So um, without further ado, here's uh, the podcast with me and Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. And today I've got a different show than I've ever done before. So a different podcast. It's a, a, a totally different concept and idea. So we're not necessarily talking about real estate investing today, wholesaling, house flipping, those kind of things, but more about the kind of impact that we can make on the world. And, you know, we're coming off this high from Flip Hacking Live. We just came off of these three days. It's, I've been doing this series on uh, kind of my team and the Seven Figure Runway program. And now that the doors are closed on that, what I want to do is I want to kind of open some of your eyes to what's going on in society and how we can make a change as uh, leaders in our in our our marketplace and real estate as investors and the kind of people that we all are, the, the difference that we can make and the impact with all of these incredible things are happening to us in real estate. We're making a lot of money. We're becoming successful. Then the next step is kind of what impact and what, how can you give back to others? So um, every year at Flip Hacking Live, we support a different charity. So you guys probably remember the first year we supported the Children's Heart Foundation with James uh, right before he was born. And we raised about $35,000 in James's name, my son, um, right before he had his heart surgeries. And then the second year was the Jarrett Prescott uh, Foundation. And we raised some money for uh, wells and schools in Myanmar. And then um, two years ago, we, we supported Operation Underground Railroad, where Tim Ballard came and spoke. And we watched uh, Operation Toussaint. We watched the documentary that Russell put together uh, with them. And it was really just an incredible night where we raised $150,000 that year. And then this past year, we had an unbelievable speaker from Operation Underground Railroad. We supported them again. Uh, so a lot of people will, will call them OUR. And uh, Matt Osborne came and just blew the doors off of this event. It was incredible. It hit, I mean, I, people were just talking about it every day after that. So it was, it was the first night and 
just did an incredible job. And so I thought it would be interesting and a lot of fun for those of you who couldn't come to Flip Hacking Live to see, I talked about the pebble in the pond effect, right? It's just a ripple that goes out. And if, if people leave there and they tell five other people and they tell five other people and they tell five other people, you know, there's going to be millions and millions of people that find out about this organization and the great that they're doing. So I invited Matt to come on the podcast and he graciously accepted. So without further ado, I know that was a long intro, but Matt, thank you so much for being here with me. Oh, thanks, Bill. It's really great. Thanks for you. Thanks for your generosity. Flip Hacking Live. I want to do the next one next week. I wish it was 2020 already. That's awesome. There's a lot of people that are just like, they're still, I just got, actually, I just got a note from a, a good friend of mine, Terry Berger. I'm sure you met him there. Yeah. And he was like, man, I still have this adrenaline rush from the event. It's been two weeks now and I'm still rip, roaring and ready to go. So it's good. That's the kind of motivation that it's nice that it carries longer than two or three days. So yeah. that's just a testament to all the speakers that we had, everybody that came on. The 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 management team, the staff that set it up. It was just a really great event. So, and let's remember too, as good as you guys were, like as good as your team, everyone there, San Diego, pretty good. Also pretty good host, not a bad place to spend some time. You're exactly right. So, uh, I know I, I could stay there for weeks and weeks and even, yeah, you're right. We could fall, kind of fall on our face and it'd still be a good event. Right. <laughs> So, so why don't you tell everybody, I know your background was uh, with the CIA prior to OUR. So if you can just give everybody a little intro and just assume that people listening have no idea who you are or what OUR is. Absolutely. I was blessed to serve my country for 12 years with the Central Intelligence Agency in the U.S. Department of State, was overseas working in the embassy in Madrid, Spain, and Caracas, Venezuela, and Mexico City, Mexico, working issues of terrorism, uh, drug trafficking, organized crime, and this thing called human trafficking that I know we're going to talk about. And I'll be honest, in the year 2006, I was ignorant. I thought this was the movie Pretty Woman, the Julia Roberts character who was out there just trying to make a living that way, selling herself. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I naive to see that these are victims and not volunteers, and this is trafficking and not prostitution. So there was something that lit in me. I didn't really know what it was at the time, even though I loved serving my country. I worked for President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama, so across the political spectrum, really met some amazing men and women, worked, and, and was really had this camaraderie, as much as you know, with your service in the military and elsewhere, you feel that you're in the trenches. But there was something about human trafficking, modern day slavery. I have two daughters of my own. They're 17 and 14. And so a few years ago when I was thinking about uh, this issue, they were even younger. And then this guy named Tim Ballard, who you mentioned, and I know a lot of your uh, colleagues and followers know very well. Uh, he and I went to graduate school together in the year 2000 out in California. And when he started first with the CIA and later with U.S. Customs and Homeland Security, he was working these child crimes cases and doing some amazing things, but he had problems with jurisdiction and problems with resources. So he decided, again, as many of your listeners and viewers know, that uh, he, he could start this organization called Operation Underground Railroad. So he started working on me in the year 2013, 2014. Hey, leave a job that you love. I know you love this job, but come join me in this calling. And I remember I said, well, wait a sec, Tim. Uncle Sam pays me faithfully twice a month. Uh, I have health care, government health care. I have a pension waiting for me in just five or six years. You want me to give all that up? and join an organization where I only get paid if the donations come in. He thought for a moment, he said, yes, that's exactly what I'm asking you. So a lot of praying, a lot of soul searching, talking to family members, and was just thrilled back in 2014 to make the leap, uh, leave again a job I love, 
to join what I believe I'm being called to do and to try to rescue God's precious children to uh, c- combine with men and women from all backgrounds. And I know we'll talk about this a lot. Some of your you know, former colleagues and you know this spirit, this military spirit, the military man and woman who goes to bat every day for their countries, for their families. And we see a lot of that spirit in our fight against human trafficking. Uh, but I helped run our undercover missions for the past few years. Now I'm doing more uh, different special projects, events, media talks, and just absolutely thrilled to have a chance to meet you first in Nashville and then in San Diego. And just again, to thank you, to thank everyone involved with Flip Hacking Live, to thank those watching, listening. Every dollar we raise, it's amazing. I know we'll talk about that, uh, but just a whirlwind to get me where I am here. I'm just so thankful to try to do everything I can each day to try to rescue and restore some of these precious children. That's awesome. It's incredible to hear that again. Every time I hear it again and again, it's just amazing to, so I I know exactly how you feel. I remember leaving the military and saying, okay, I'm, I want to go into real estate. I want to be home with my family. Uh, I don't want to continue to get deployed like that, but you actually left a CIA job with a pension coming up, all those things to go into uncertainty and also to have to leave to go do these undercover missions to go in still go into harm's way and do all of those things. So like what what do you think it was about kind of Tim and his, his approach to you that made you make that decision? Like what made it what was going through your head at that time in 2014 to say like the kind of the conversation that was happening between you and yourself and maybe you and your family? <laughs> Well, as many of you uh, know who are listening and watching, know Tim Ballard. He's very persuasive. He's very enthusiastic. He's very inspirational. And the fact that he left, he quit cold turkey. I always say he was the brave one. You know, he started with nothing and he had, you know, six kids or something at the time. Whereas he was asking me to join and I was the chicken. I said, well, why don't you talk to me, Tim, later once you've gotten this plane up in the air, you know, once you've taken off. And so I give all credit to him. And he basically said, Matt, This is an opportunity to empower the men and women who are already doing so much in the United States, state, local, and federal, also overseas, mostly federal where we work overseas. And we can talk about some of the reasons that we don't work with locals just because a lot of the issues of corruption and inefficiencies. But let's do all that we can to provide the funding, training, tools, technology, and this face, right? Your face, my face, unfortunately, the American face that is perpetrating this crime of child exploitation, and human trafficking. So he told me about this idea and this big leap of faith. So Bill, you get a kick out of this. I talked to my father. I said, dad, what do you think? And I laid everything out. He says, don't do it. He said, there are not, what companies nowadays offer pensions? What companies offer this security? So I talked to my wife back then of, you know, 18 years now about 22 years. And she said, I love you, honey. If this is what you want to do, I'll support you. And so very grateful. But it was a big leap of faith. But the way I looked at it is, hey, one day when I meet my maker, am I going to say I try to do everything to make the world a better place? Or did I sit in a comfy job? And that's what I love meeting so many men and women at your event, too, that in all walks of life they come from and yet dedicated now to being the first in the office, the last out, their communities, that spirit. I was so just inspired by everyone there in San Diego. Yeah. And that, that's why I wanted to ask that because it's, it is kind of like that tie to what we do on the podcast here and what we teach and stuff like that and how we help people is, you know, sometimes we have to motivate and inspire people to make that leap because, or we might be having to make that leap out of a corporate job or something to go full-time into real estate. And so just getting that idea, because looking at Tim, like that leader, that, 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 entrepreneur, that big visionary business owner, right? In the beginning of this, this nonprofit, right? To say, Hey, I, 
I can do it. It's almost like this Jerry Maguire, right? Moment. Like who's coming with me? Like I just quit or I just got like, I'm out of here. Who's come with me. And you're like, I'm not sure if it should be me or not. And it's funny because yeah, you get that advice of don't do it. I'm not sure you can tell your wife's not like fully in. And sometimes we just have this calling and you, you mentioned that like rescuing God's children. It's probably a calling for you that you said, just like you said, when you meet your maker, what did, what did I do with my life? And that was kind of the resounding kind of message at that event. I feel like is people really trying to find themselves, find their why really digging deep into it because this is not easy. I'm sure those first couple of years were not easy for you guys. So what was that like as you guys were like getting this plane off the ground together? Well, if you hear Tim tell his story, and then I saw this firsthand when I came on about six or seven months into the organization, we only had enough money to do one operation. So if it went wrong, we were done. And so we were very blessed. Our first operation in January of 2014, uh, those who are familiar with Operation Underground Railroad may know the story of little Gardy Marty, a dual citizen U.S. and Haitian. We're looking for him. We're still looking for him. We do think we're getting a little bit closer, but that was the operation we went in thinking we would find him. It's been detailed in some of our documentaries and some of our uh, media we put out. We didn't find him, but we found 28 children in an illegal orphanage, an illegal brothel, and we're able to save them, get many of them back to their families, and then get the rest of them into vetted safe uh, havens and aftercare centers. So then we had enough, did that operation. Then we had to go out for several weeks, a month or two, have media events, raise money, raise awareness, just to have another operation then in Colombia, in Cartagena in March of 2014. So, you know, you ask what it was like. We were out hat in hand, right? Hey, can mm -hmm. you work with us? Can you work? Will you work with us? Can you get us some money? We've been so blessed now that we've been able through donors and the donations that keep coming in through your event, and I know we'll talk about in others, we're taking this money and putting it directly into saving kids. Now we're in a position where we are able to uh, empower partners around the world and have continual operations. But in the old days, we were just, again, one operation every few months, and then we were sitting down in front of these traffickers. And I don't know if your viewers and listeners really know, I know you get it, but that these are despicable human beings who are bartering the life, the welfare, the physical sanctity of a human being as if they're talking about sack of potatoes, tomatoes, limes, it weighs this much, it looks like this, this is how much it's gonna cost. And so my wife, who's much smarter than me, said, you know, you think you're so cool, you're Mr. CIA man, you've been all around the world, this will be the hardest thing you've ever done. Mm -hmm. I said, no, are you kidding? I'm trained to compartmentalize and to go into my special place and do the job. Boy, she was right. The first time I ever sat across the table from a trafficker in Cartagena, Colombia, when he's talking about these things, and I'll just be very honest, he pulled a girl up to us and said, this girl's 13 years old, and in Spanish he said, she has zero kilometers on her. She's a virgin, and she'll be, I'll reserve her for your boss. That was the role, the boss was coming. And so, Bill, I want to do three things simultaneously. I want to throw up and I wanted to strangle him, mm -hmm. and yet I knew I needed to stay in character. And then that moment I thought, my wife is correct. This is hard, this is a disgusting business, but the way we stay sane is we always think about the end. If we can just keep it together, stay in the role, these kids will be free and back with their parents or in a place where they can get good aftercare. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. It's, like, it's almost like you have to be an actor it, it, you're, you're playing a part and you're inside, you're just boiling. Like my blood would be boiling. Absolutely. I'm just ready to jump across the table and you have to say some pretty despicable things as well and, and have to kind of wash that off or realize that why you're doing that. You know, um, I just and play that part. It's just, it's, it's definitely not something that I, I can even imagine doing. And then probably when you're put there for the first time, 
you know, seeing that, doing it, it's, it's almost like it, out of body experience, I would imagine of somebody who you're not, because I know, I know you guys, I know, I know right. that are kicking down the doors, the seals that you guys work with. I've, I've been, I've been, I've been blessed to be around you guys uh, quite a few times. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's, it, I just love every single second of it. Like you said, the camaraderie, like it, I don't know, we can just automatically know when you have that previous service to joke around with somebody like that, you can, but just being around you guys just makes me a better person and want to do more. So it's really amazing what you guys are doing. So, well, thank you very much. And again, it is something where you do, it's acting. It's the reason I always say it's the role of a lifetime. You have to Academy award winning performance, because if you break character, if you go out of role, then lives are at stake. And we do have uh, go back, bend over backwards to set up trip wires in the different parts of the investigation that if we think that the bad guys have found out about us, or we think that a local, you know, a federal police officer in Mexico or Colombia or Thailand maybe is in with the traffickers and we have ways we can pull out. But at the end of the day, you can never eliminate risk totally from your life, as you know, from both the military and then your daily life. But what you do is you minimize risk as much as you can. Then you say a prayer and you go for the objective. Yeah. What, so what kind of planning goes into these kind of operations? I mean, that first operation, was this like months and months of planning? I was going to assume there's a ton of stuff that you guys are doing to get ready for these. A lot of our initial operations and investigations came from contacts that Tim already had. So he had worked for the Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security Investigations in Colombia. He had connections in Haiti and Mexico. And so we were able to say, hey, you knew me when I was wearing the U.S. government hat. Now I'm wearing a nonprofit hat, Operation Underground Railroad. Will you work with us? I don't have a badge anymore. And so then the foreign governments would say, you know, it doesn't matter. Your badge didn't mean anything to us anyway when you had it. So we kind of had a chuckle. And so then we would come in and we always go through the front door or we don't go in at all. And that's in some of the videos we played. You'll remember we talked about this. We're not a vigilante organization. We only go in if every Everyone's on the same page. So what does that mean? So you asked how long it takes. So we'll go in and just for a few days and we'll meet with the U.S. Embassy so they can give us the lay of the land and which units to work with and which not. Then we meet with the federal police or prosecutors, politicians, whoever can kind of give us that political top cover. And then they'll say either one of two things. Hey, we know where the traffickers are but we can't get in close to them. We can't infiltrate them because we don't have the American face. We're not able to play that role. Or they may say, you know what? We think it's happening, but we just don't have the jurisdiction or sorry, the jurisdiction they have. We just don't have the resources because our governments are asking us to go after drug traffickers, you know, kidnappers, gun runners, extortionists, petty crime. We don't have money for trafficking. But if you come in, Operation Underground Railroad, use the donor funds to help us, train us, provide the funding, training tools, technology, provide your gringo American faces. They'll let us go in. We get authorization, signed up as confidential source of information. We'll go to a known area, and then they approach us. They approach us, and they offer us all sorts of things because they don't suspect this face. So then we begin to build the, organ the investigation. We share uh, the information with the local authorities. They may act on it or not. They may act on it by themselves, or they may need us. And then if they need us, then we set up the sting, which we oftentimes talk about in some of our, our videos. And what's really cool is a new thing we've done now for the past year, year and a half, is really empowering behind the scenes, providing training, hiring experts experts from around the world and in the United States to train up these countries and different law enforcement in the U.S. on how to go after the child pornographers online, 
how to look at the dark web, which is something way over my head, but there are experts who know where these creeps, where these pedophiles traffic. And so what we're able to do, it's the old, you give them a fish, well you could, but we're teaching them how to fish. And it's so neat to see that now operations are just starting organically all around the world. And you can imagine that force multiplier on how many kids we're able to save. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's incredible stuff. I, I, I think, I, hopefully we didn't fast forward to, we're kind of just jumping into the operations and everything. I, yeah. I know that we know, I have a lot of background on this, so I know exactly. a lot of the things that we do. So um, we talked kind of about uh, human trafficking, right? So maybe we can go back to kind of what is, what's the mission of Operation Underground Railroad? So like what, what are you guys trying to accomplish here? Uh, and so we maybe just back up a little bit. For sure. As you know, every business has to have a good slogan, right? And a good motto. And so we are the three E's. Emancipate the children, empower law enforcement, and enlighten the public. So across that spectrum, that's really what we're trying to do with the goal, again, of fighting human trafficking, child exploitation. You know, you've done such a good job with your colleagues and partners in trying to educate, but I would say that those who really know about human trafficking still are in the minority worldwide. They may be as I was back in the day in 2006 when I mentioned it. Oh yeah, I see prostitutes on the street. They don't realize there's a pimp, there's a trafficker. Trafficking is a 150 billion with a B dollar business. It's crazy, isn't it? Boggles your mind. And most of it is forced labor, then sexual exploitation, organ harvesting, and trafficking. We're focusing on the commercial sexual exploitation because that's being perpetrated by Americans as the number one consumer of child pornography and the number one producer also of child pornography. We are creating these things, and you know what they are, but it's still crazy. I can't believe these words. A child sex tourist someone who's going overseas from the United States or someone who's here in our country who is for sport, for tourism, abusing children. That is our goal. Again, let's free the children through emancipation. Then let's empower law enforcement, as I mentioned, teach a person to fish, and then doing what you're doing, enlighten the public. What do we have in San Diego? Almost 600 people. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wonderful now to empower that army to go out? And I love what you were talking to about. Hey, Tell friends, get five friends, tell them, share on social media. That's what we have to do is create this movement until men mostly realize you don't buy another human being. And so let's be a group of uncommon men who stand up and partner and say no to this sex trafficking. Yeah, it's, it was the response that I've seen. And what I loved about this event this year is we had a little over 600 people there and almost like probably 50 or 60% of them had never been to an, one of our events before. So wow. it was a lot of new, uh, new faces, new people who weren't there last year who had never heard of this and to see the sea of, so the t-shirt I'm wearing, if you're watching, uh, if you're watching on, uh, online, then you can see this t-shirt. We, we basically, uh, printed a ton of these t-shirts, uh, sent them out to San Diego. And then we gave this t-shirt away with, uh, a minimum of a hundred dollar investment, uh, you know, a hundred dollar donation towards uh, Operation Underground Railroad. And um, what I saw the next day on Friday was a sea of red t-shirts out there. It was just amazing Great. to see the kind of the giving uh, spirit behind everybody. And one thing that I said from, uh, from stage that I'll say here again is I, I realize that everybody has a charity that they support. Every single person out there has a charity, whether they, they donate regularly, whether it's church, whether it's a charity that they donate to. And I, I'm not trying to replace your charity. I'm not trying. I'm just trying to get this information and open your eyes to this because when my eyes were open to this, it's just in, in, uh, just it's disgusting crimes. These the people that are doing this and realizing how big of a problem it was. I couldn't look, I couldn't look away from it. I just I just just had to do something. And so 
I said to everybody, like, you can give $5 or $10. That's like, that's it. That's just something. I was looking for just a hundred percent account of like <laughs> people to just give a hundred percent of something. Like it could be a dollar or $5. Like everybody can give a little bit. And I think this is the same thing on this podcast. I mean, we'll get there eventually, but every single person listening to this can give $5, $10. What I really love is, and we'll talk about is this abolitionist movement in this uh, Operation Underground Railroad, right? It has this, it, this idea that Tim came up with this plan. It's, it goes back to the slave trade and everything. So he built this kind of abolitionist, these people who continuously give and we continuously give and I continue to up it uh, every, every month. It's, yeah. it's so insignificant to me on a credit card payment of $50, $100, $200 a month that you don't even notice that it's going out. So, and um, so, so we talked about OUR and what it is and this, this just the event was so powerful. It's like, it was just so cool because all those are just kind of like, number one, they're probably prayer warriors going back and, right. and praying. You guys have a really cool system that you can get text alerts to pray whenever a mission's going out, which yeah. I absolutely love. I have a, a woman on my team, Ashley, who was there, who you probably met. She yeah. sends an email to the whole staff. It's like the OUR team is going out on a mission. Everybody pray for them. And so we all do. And it's really cool to see that. And then you guys have these, this abolitionist movement. You have volunteers from all around the U S who, you know, um, help support do anywhere from uh, garage sales to raise some money to big events like galas and things like that. It's really cool to see all the people in the movement. So all I was trying to do at this event and continuously on this podcast now is just continue that movement. Like how we, we we're so much stronger together than right. we are alone, right? Like right. one donor, two donors, three donors, even if they're giving millions of dollars at one time, it can't support a foundation like this. No, exactly. And I think you are being, as always, uh, humble with what you were doing and bringing people together and you're matching, very generous. And, and I love your message too, that I don't want anyone to think, well, just $5 a month, that doesn't matter. $10 a month, that doesn't matter. We get just over 40% of our entire rescue budget from individual donations, less than $25 a month. So think about these warriors who we are creating. And so, you know, for your, your listeners and those watching online, OURrescue.org, OURrescue.org. And you can say, join the fight. You can click on it and join our abolitionist club. Again, for as little as $5 a month. What is that? Is that a Starbucks? Give up one Starbucks for a month and you're, you're paying. And then you get these text alerts and you're able to join through social media. So I would just be so honored for you know anyone who is able to go to OURrescue.org and join our abolitionist club. And as we always say, and you mentioned it, look, we all have to team up in this fight. So we're not an organization that's going to say, just give to us and no one else. No, you give to your favorite charity. You give to what drives you, what makes you feel uh, important. We would love it if you'd consider us. We'd love it if you'd support us. And we're going to treat these funds with the respect that they are due. And we are going to put this, these funds directly to work in empowering law enforcement, enlightening the public, and as I said, emancipating the children. And so, uh, again, just, just so grateful to meet these groups, to meet groups like yours and others. And I was, again, so and still I am blown away. What's it been two, three weeks now? Just really still yeah. blown away by what went down in San Diego. Yeah, it was awesome. So uh, Matt said, just give up that $5 Starbucks. I'm going to challenge you. You do not have to give up that $5 Starbucks. Go make more money so yes. you can give more and feel fine about it. I'll tell you uh, uh, one quick story. I, had a, I have a guy that I know down in Pensacola who um, he flew helicopters. We're military guys. He's still flying helicopters and he's in real estate. And so he reached out to me and said, hey, i I." I've been, I've been watching this OUR thing. I've been checking it out. He's got daughters uh, like you, yeah. Matt. And he said, you know what I, I really want to do? I've been moved to give $900 a month. Um, and I said, Did you, do you mean $90 a month? He's like, no, no, no. I mean $900 a month. Wow. And I said, 
I said, well, I know this guy. He's, he's not a multimillionaire. He's not, um, he, he doesn't make a ton of money. He's still on a government salary. I know you can look it up online how much we make. It's not a lot of money. Um, but he, he said like that, this is, this is kind of our tithe. This is our number. And I want to give it to this organization on a monthly basis. And I said, well, here's the link. Um, would love it for you, for you to do that. And it was just amazing to see. And right before this, I went on the, uh, kind of Tennessee, uh, volunteer website that we have that I sent him the link to. And on October 17th, he just made his first donation. Wow. Dollars. And it's just amazing to see that and wrote a note uh, about it. In fact, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him out right here. So it says, uh, as a father of four, I couldn't be more proud of what you represent. I'm an active duty Marine and helicopter instructor pilot in Pensacola, Florida. Please let me know if there is any other way in which I can be of service to this cause in addition to monetary means. And his name's wow. Jake. I'll give his first name, Jake. So really, really cool to see that. And I know that we've been, we've been doing that. Um, we, you know, I've been trying, I've, I've been trying to up my, my donation numbers, really push myself. What it does is it pushes me when I can... When I, the more that I give, the more that I receive. So I know that just Walter Bond talked about it at the event. He said, he said, uh, money is meant to flow. It's got a flow to it, right? <laughs> you, if you hold on to money, that's, is, you're just going to be there. You, you let it out there. So you don't have to give up that $5 Starbucks, go give $10 to OUR and go make 50 more dollars <laughs> per, per month, um, in, in something that you're doing. Just go, you can go figure out how to make more money too, not just save it, save it, save it. So I, the whole goal for me is let me show you guys how to make more so you can impact more lives, improve the lives of others, change all of these, these things. So so we talked about OUR, kind of what it is, what you, some of you guys do in more of the kind of um, the operational side. What right. about the what? What about the the beginning, like the aftercare things, uh, setting that up, and what does that look like for you? Do you guys just kick the doors down, get the kids, and and then uh, and then go, or what is it? What does it look like? Yeah, absolutely not. We always say, and Tim Ballard leads the charge, that there is no rescue without the rehabilitation. What would it serve us if we save 1,000 girls and 999 of them go back into it? So we have had a learning curve. And again, we try to be a very transparent organization that in the first few months, first year of our existence, 2014, we did not, we were not set up as an aftercare site. We, aftercare organization, it wasn't our specialty. Tim was CIA and Homeland Security. I was CIA diplomacy. We had military experts. But we quickly realized that these countries overseas and even some states in the U.S. were not equipped to be able to take these girls in and boys, mostly girls, but and boys in. And so what we decided then in 2015 that we were going to hire a director for aftercare and some OUR followers listening know Jessica Mass and she's fantastic, heart of gold, just so enthusiastic. And we also decided we're not going to build an aftercare center and run it. That's, that's not our expertise and that would tie us to just one area of the U.S. or one area of the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around to different countries. We're in 24 countries right now in 22 U.S. states. And we're going to find great organizations that we can empower through funding, through training, through whatever they need. And we are going to then have this infrastructure, this aftercare infrastructure. And so that's what we do. So now we always say we go in through the back first. Now, I guess I said as an organization, we're going through the front door, but we treat it from the back end aftercare. Before we even do a rescue, we talk to the different facilities in a country, Guatemala, Mexico, Thailand. Where will these girls go if they can't go home? How many beds do you have available? Okay, we have 10 beds. All right, well, that's how many kids we can save. We have 20 beds. Now, sometimes it still doesn't work because if we have these operations, we have these investigations, and traffickers come out of the woodwork because of their greed. And they say, well, here are five kids and here are 10 kids. Wow, well, what do we do? And so then we work to find additional beds, additional areas. But our aftercare team 
go around the world every few months. So they're traveling all around, but try to visit these areas every few months, a couple times a year to find out what do they need. Then we have donors from all over the world, from all over the United States, who oftentimes respond with in-kind donations and we do different drives. Right now we're not doing one, but if maybe you looked over the holidays, can we gather medicines? Can we gather school books, sports equipment? Can we put together hygiene kits? Can you imagine a trafficking victim who's rescued? She feels dirty inside for having been forced to do what she was doing, but she also is physically dirty. Maybe the trafficker hasn't let her shower, hasn't let her take care of herself. So upon rescue, she's given a hygiene kit with soap, shampoo, feminine hygiene products, maybe a Bible, maybe a bookmark, maybe a teddy bear, these type of things. And then to be able to go back and say, what can we do? Um, you, you were served, you were rescued. So what do you want? Do you want to go to school? Do you want to have a career? Do you want some sort of training? And with the generosity of our donors, we've been able to take many of these victims, turn them into survivors. And these survivors are now thrivers. And that's one of the best parts of this organization. That's awesome. Do you, do you have any like stories that come to mind, like really things like that either you were involved in or the organization has done? I, re I remember when I was going through one of the trainings. So on OURrescue.org, there's a lot of online trainings. And what it, what it, what a story that resonated with me was there was, um, people had done some training on what it, what is it, uh, what does it look like? What is a, a trafficked uh, uh, minor look like you, you, you think it's somebody who's like on drugs and forced to do that or a runaway or something like that. But it was, it could be as even as, as simple as somebody in the neighborhood who's starting, um, who, who is being trafficked by what, like starting to be kind of groomed for that by somebody who they know in their neighborhood here in the U S and uh, I was, I was watching this just in, just shock of that. It's just somebody who starts to get maybe a little bit depressed, starts dressing a little bit more provocatively, starts using more slang and, and they're still coming home every night. They're just, and they're less, they're less friends. They're a little bit more of an outcast, it seems stuff like that. So some of those telltale signs in the training that I did, but then there was this, there was an Uber driver in New York who uh, the story online uh, on one of these trainings was found out about this, got some training, started understanding and hearing about this and knowing about it. And he heard a conversation in the back of his cab as he was driving these people or this Uber to a hotel. And it was a woman trafficking another girl uh, there at the hotel. He called the police. He got them all uh, uh, just, just because he knew that this is something that could be happening where normally he might not even picked up that conversation and, and have even thought to do anything about it. It was just two women going to a hotel to get dropped off. So like the educational piece of this, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring you on. Right. Uh, but so like, are do you have, there's some other stories like that, that you have that you could share that maybe somebody who's listening is it could impact them to, to realize the, uh, I don't know, like the, how, how serious this is. Well, absolutely. And it's very prevalent and it's all over and it's, it's out in the open, right? And we don't realize that, that it's out in the open. And so there are many great organizations out there, some we partner with, some we're aware of, who are training service providers, service providers who may see trafficking. And so think about an airline flight attendant. Think about that. A flight attendant could come into contact with a trafficking situation coming from Asia, coming from Africa, Europe, even in the United States. So these flight attendants are being trained to, hey, when you're doing your safety instructions and you're serving drinks and food, you know, if you see a man and a girl sitting next to each other, and they don't seem like they are really supposed to be together. Or if you say, hey, would you like uh, something to drink? And he says, yes, yeah, she'll have a Coke. 
okay, would you be having the chicken or the vegetarian meal? She'll have chicken answering for a girl that seems kind of drugged out. And so there's a group called airline ambassadors and they have actually helped several, helped stop several cases because they wait until the girl goes to the laboratory. They slip her a card. They say, do you need help? So flight attendants are huge. The department of Homeland security training, hotel workers, hotel management, guest reception, their reception, you know, you check in, you see again, an older man and a younger woman. It just doesn't seem like it's, you know, think about it. If someone comes and pays cash for a room day after day and has a do not disturb sign. If you see something, say something. You mentioned an Uber driver. Truckers, there's Truckers Against Trafficking is a great mm -hmm. group and they help a lot because this is, happens in truck stops all over. And I think that it's important for uh, your listeners and viewers to remember the National Anti-Human Trafficking Hotline. Very easy to remember. 888-3737-888. You see something, say something. 888-3737-888. They would 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they would rather you call and it not be something than you ignore it, you not do any, and you have a chance to, to save a life. And you ask for personal anecdotes. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. We're seeing that um, there are girls who, again, are being victimized by strangers, but also family members. There are girls, unfortunately, who have been so traumatized for years that when we rescue them, they say, well, you know what, I, this is all I've been told that I'm good for, is to satisfy these creeps when they want, where they want, how they want, to do whatever they said. They said, that's all I'm good for. So it takes a lot of time, a lot of trauma-informed care to break them of this, to let them know, no, you are a treasured person, an individual, a daughter or son of God, right, to try to move them forward. And so not every story is a happy one, but we've had so many great success stories. And I'll share one, and then we can talk about other things, but it's really cool because I was personally involved in it, is we saved a 15-year-old girl in Mexico a few years ago. And actually, it was about now three years because she's now of age, so we can tell her story. And we actually had a chance to go down and visit her in the aftercare center where she was. And remember, you know, Bill, that we play the role of the creeps, right? We play the role of the middlemen. So we're arrested as well. My two teenage daughters think it's hilarious. Their old man's been arrested nine times in five different countries. <laughs> and so, you know, so we get to go though and we get to meet up with some of these girls. And so I was sitting there one day with the staff worker and, and I asked this girl, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, no, no, it's silly. I'm not going to tell anybody. I said, no, what do you want to be? She said, well, I love cooking and I want to be a chef. Well, wouldn't you know that our donors allowed us to give her training from one of the best chefs in Mexico, and she's now a sous chef working a legitimate job. And so here again, victim to survivor, survivor to thriver. We've offered jobs to some of these victims and survivors and are in the process of helping them. You know, all work has dignity, right? It's something that you talk about, whether it's, again, making your own tortillas on the street to being a doctor, a lawyer, it's valuable, it's important work. And we've had some really poignant stories of girls coming to us saying, based on my own experience, I wanna be a nurse and a trauma nurse working in uh, urgent care, working in emergency room. Well, why do you wanna do that, we ask? Because when I was beaten by my boyfriend, beaten by my trafficker, no one would help me. And yet, I wanna be the one to help. Another person, I wanna be a lawyer because no one gave me an opportunity to, def you know, no one defended me, no one went to bat for me. I wanna go to bat for him. So it's these stories that just make it all worthwhile. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting to see last year, Tim brought, um, brought one of the girls who had been trafficked who yes. was getting ready to testify. And I won't do her story justice by telling it, but it was an unbelievable story of overcoming the, everything that she had been through, basically escaping 
and and telling uh, the law enforcement about the traffickers and getting them arrested and teaching right. herself English, coming to this event, never have spoken English before and speaking on stage and just saying thank you. There was not a dry eye in the room when she spoke. And, and I know that we couldn't use her face or her name or anything from that event because she was, the case is ongoing. Yes, yeah, you're she right. was getting ready to testify. So we had to make sure that we scrubbed all of that and everything. But it, it was just, I mean, that was... That was my first real kind of immersion in this organization last year. So before that, I had seen Justin. So everybody knows Justin Williams, the previous owner of this company, the guy I bought the company from. He, he had um, worked with Dutch on a house that they renovated and resold, and he gave the, uh, the profits to uh, Operation Underground Railroad. And when I saw that, it motivated me to go say, what could I do? So we're working on a house right now down in Pensacola that we're going to give away 100% free and clear. Wow. I was like, we can step it up one level, I think, to, um, to um, a Gold Star family. So somebody yep. who uh, lost their... Um, their family member in, in service in the military. So, um, I, and I want to figure out how to do more of that. But at that event last year, I was just, I remember my COO, Nate, who's been on the podcast a couple of times and who you met, he just came down and he's a previous law enforcement guy. Uh, and he's like, I'm, I'm ready to get my gun and just go. I'm, I'm a going, like I'm ready. Uh, I was like, I need you to run the company. Like you're running the company every day. So right. I don't have to, I need you there. So um, we, we kind of said, what more could we do? And I know we, We'll, we'll get into that towards the end of this um, this podcast, but I really felt drawn to do more because of that. Like that, the power of being there in that room, watching the documentary, documentary being around Tim for longer than like two minutes, like I had been before, right. and actually being there and spending time with him and seeing and having dinner with him beforehand and just seeing like the actual care of where he wants to take this and his vision for this organization, basically to end slavery. Humans. Exactly. And- and so it like that motivated us to say we can do more than just give money. Like what else can we do? And we'll talk about what we ended up doing. But um, for, just so for everybody listening, can can you give out some numbers of like how many people you think are currently um, slave being trafficked here in the U.S. and overseas? Because I think that might give um, a lot of people um, an idea of how bad this epidemic is it's always hard to pinpoint exact numbers because you look at reputable organizations that are all over the map. So if you look at the U S department of state, they say around 23 million men, women, and children today in slavery, United nations around 27 million. And I may have flipped those two. One says 23, one says 27. Um, University of Texas did a study exhaustive where they had a number of 21 million people. Polaris Project, another great organization, says 40 million. I don't know what that is. What I do know is that when you look at the total number of slaves in the history of slavery, the transatlantic slave trade from the early 1500s to the late 1880s, the best numbers we see is 12.1 million total, which is a terrible number. One is even too many. Populations were a lot smaller. But think about it. At least two, million, two times, maybe three times the number of slaves total. Now, the majority of slaves are in forced labor, what we would think of, again, as slavery, slave labor conditions, indentured servitude, slaving away for little or no money, but commercial sexual exploitation. It's estimated that between two and six million children under the age of 18 are in slavery, sexual exploitation. The profit on this worldwide, this is all forms of trafficking, 
as we talk about 150 billion, um, 99 million just in Texas where I live, I'm throwing out some of these stats, just in Dallas, and this is important as well because this doesn't just happen in Bangkok, Thailand, or Acapulco, Mexico, or Africa. 400 teens under the age of 18 are, are, are thought to be on the streets every night. Tennessee, a lot of other places. And again, it says nothing bad about these states. It's that it's everywhere. Anywhere where there's a port, an airport, highways, anywhere there's affluence, you're going to see this. So these numbers just boggle the mind. But the way that we keep fighting and keep hope, and we talked about this a little bit in San Diego, and some people say, oh, it's, you know, it's sort of corny. It's the parable of the starfish. You remember all the starfish all over the beach? You can't throw them all back in the ocean, but you can throw this one. You can throw that one. You can throw that one, making a difference one person at a time. And so that's what we do with these donations is we go and say, where can we make the best uh, effect? And that's why we do some the operations from time to time because, again, we have the American face and can work the undercover. But really, we're empowering now, providing, as I mentioned earlier, some of the training, some of the technology. And what's really neat to see is countries that you might think is backwards. Oh, maybe there's some countries in the Caribbean, maybe South America, maybe Asia. There are men and women in these countries who want to save kids, who want to do the right thing, and we're now seeing them launching their own operations after we provide some of the training and build some of their capacity. Yeah, it's it's incredible to think about those kind of numbers and that it's happening right under our nose. I mean, if you if you watch the news, you listen, you, you look major sporting events like the Super Bowl. Um, you saw there was a there was an issue at the Super Bowl this year with uh, like breaking up a, a trafficking ring and arresting some people. So you guys celebrated a milestone recently. What is that? I I, I actually just shared it on my page yesterday. I saw it. I was so it's just like chills went down me when I saw it. It's just amazing to see what you guys are doing. So we've been around for just over five years, approaching six years now, and we just hit our 3,000th victim saved, rescued, put on the path to rehabilitation. This is a combination of us doing our operations, of us funding groups, of us providing tools, but 3,000 lives have changed for the better, many of these children. And we also have a number of just over 1,600 traffickers, we'll call some suspected because some of them still haven't had their day in court, but 1,600 convicted and suspected traffickers, pedophiles, John's taken off the street. And as Tim Ballard always says, sometimes this stat's even more important because this stops them from exploiting. And you can't even quantify the number of children now rescued who never knew they'd be rescued, need rescuing, or are safe now because we've removed some of these off the streets. And so we want to give thanks to our donors to help us do this number, 3,000. And we want to continue to go and Tim says these goals are audacious and they are but it's something we're gonna look for and try for and strive for let's try why can't we end human trafficking why can't we partner with good people all around the world in the United States to end this but we're only gonna do it if we have donations we have people raising awareness and we have great education and that's why again I just reiterate our gratitude to you to your forum to your partners and everything you guys are doing it is just incredible and we are so thankful it's, it's incredible. 3,000, 3,000 kids, 1,600 traffickers. And those traffickers can, like you said, it, they can, they can traffic hundreds of kids. It's not yes. like just one of them coming off the street is a potential 100, 200, 300, 500 kids that, that are saved from future trafficking from that person. Or, it's said or that, Sorry to interrupt, but that one pedophile, and they've done this through studies where when they arrest a pedophile who admits it and kind of says how many kids you've abused, and then you extrapolate that out. One pedophile most likely will abuse 100 children in his lifetime. So can you imagine you pull that guy off the streets? 
It's amazing. And that's where the exponential piece comes in. Right. And that, that person is probably, um, you know, recruiting other people too. They become this kind of like boss or these people that exactly. I see in the, in the, um, in the videos that you guys have done. It's just, it's just, it's crazy. So we've got, um, I, the goal here is to raise some awareness, like understand what it is. I feel like we've, I think, feel like we've done that. So what is OUR, some of the aftercare, some of the operations, um, we, we didn't really dig into what the teams look like kicking the doors down. You got Navy SEALs, you got CIA, you got uh, other uh, uh, agents in the past and people like that, that I've had the honor to meet. It's been fantastic. Just, it just all around incredible Americans and human beings. It's amazing to see that. And so, um, how there's, there's people that are probably listening, just saying like, what can I do? They're probably like me. So my story was we, um, we, we came down, Nate came down the next day and said, Hey man, I couldn't sleep very well last night. I said, I couldn't sleep very well last night either. Um, we watched the documentary two years ago and, um, that was the first to kind of like real immersion that I had in it, watching that documentary. Was and that Operation Tucson? Which of the documentary? It was, it was. So I, I saw both. So I saw, but the, that was the first one. And if you guys want to watch that, I, I would say it's, it's on, uh, I think it's on Netflix, on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. The uh, OURfilm.org, you can still go there and watch it, which I, I, I actually love that because what, what they do is they drip out a bunch of other videos. There's like six other follow-up videos uh, after that that are really great. Um, it's a funnel that you get, that you get into and it's really, really impressive to see. And, uh, that's where I usually send people to watch it. Um, and, but what I, what I, what we did was we really, I, I wanted to get involved, right? I want to, Nate was like, I'm going to go kick doors down. I'm going <laughs> to get my guns. Let's go. But you know, and, and I wanted to get involved too. So what we said was, what can we do? We went to the website. They needed help in Tennessee. It was one of the States that they didn't have a lot of representation for. And after a few months of uh, working with you guys, we were able to take over kind of this volunteer operation here in Tennessee, which is amazing. So we get, we, we put on a few events. We try to the volunteers sign up. So if you go to OURrescue.org and you click on volunteers and you sign up and it says you're in Tennessee and you're in Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, wherever you are, Memphis, it comes to us. It comes to me. Like you come to me and me and my assistant right. and we work through that to, if you have something that you want to do, whether it's run a garage sale, whether it's uh, put on a gala, do an event or something like that, we'll help you organize that. We, we have like swag kits that we get that we can sell t-shirts and hats and things like that at these events. And so we've, we've had the ability to do that. And for me, it's uh, honestly like my biggest thing is, is I wear, I wear the, the shirts everywhere. I went to a hockey game last night with my COO and we were invited by uh, our, one of our bankers here in Nashville and we were in the suite and a guy came up to me at the hockey game and said, where'd you get that OUR jacket? I said, well, I bought it online. He goes, oh, he goes, I, I actually grew up with the Ballards uh, in the 80s oh, wow. in California. And so I, I talked to him. I said, oh yeah, well, okay. I, I, I met Tim a few times. We've spent a little bit of time together. Um, let me get your name. And he said, you know what? We, me and my wife, I asked him if he came to our event in Franklin. Tim was there. He said, we couldn't that night. We had something going on, but we really wanted to. And he said, um, we really want to get involved and we want to do some more. Um, so just seeing that was, is amazing. It kind of moved me to come talk to you and I will, I want to see what we can do. I got his phone number. We're going to set up a time to talk and, uh, we'll do an event in Nashville, have him and his wife come and probably some of the people that they socialize with and, uh, more donors, more information, more people uh, being impacted. So the people on this call, like what can they do? So is the best thing to go, go to OURrescue.org become a volunteer, talk about their special skills that they might have and go that way. Cause I want also want to answer the question of 
there's a lot of people on this call that are saying, how can I join the jump team? That's probably the number one thing that you guys get after this. No, that's absolutely right. Because everyone, great people, great passion. They want to do something. And I think that's why our organization is so attractive because we actually are physically doing things, whether it's the actual rescue or empowering or on the ground with the men and women who are on the front lines. And so what we say, and Tim always says, when people ask what they can do, you likely know better than we do what you can do, meaning what is your specialty? Do you have uh, ability to donate? Thank you. If not, can you pray for us? Can you send up well wishes? Do you have contacts, contacts in law enforcement who will meet with us? Because as we always joke, if we can get them into the showroom, we think they'll buy the car. But how many uh, sheriffs do you know, attorneys, chiefs of police, politicians who can we can talk about what we do? And then on our website, you talk about it, OURrescue.org. It says, there's a place to click join the fight. Everything from holding a bake sale to holding a gala, as you mentioned, talking about spreading on social media, tag our organization, other organizations. We provide the signs of trafficking training that I think you've taken or are familiar with that we would recommend people to free training to find that mm -hmm. because then you're going to have your eyes open. Uh, someone once said, one of my old professors, and I think I laughed back then because I was such a punk, not paying attention to what these people actually knew. The eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. So you're not going to know if you're seeing trafficking until you're educated. So get on board that way. Join our abolitionist club. Then there is a place, yes, to apply. Even though right now we're not hiring, we're always looking for investigators. Do you have investigative experience? Do you have connections, intelligence, law enforcement? We do a few trainings a year with our operations team to try to see, hey, where are the next operators that will go around? Uh, there's a movie coming out in March of next year. Some of you may be familiar. The Sound of Freedom, where Jim Caviezel, Passion of the Christ, Count of Monte Cristo, person of interest, he's playing Tim Ballard. We have Mira Sorvino playing Tim's wife. This is a feature film, and so it's going to be along the lines of Harriet Beecher Stowe and Uncle Tom's Cabin, using entertainment to raise awareness awareness of a social issue. And so using the sound of freedom, it's an entertaining movie, but it's also going to inform. I think that after this movie, there will be demands for OUR and other organizations to be in every country in the world, to be in every U.S. state, empowering, helping law enforcement. We're going to need experts there to be able to go out. So you can put your resume in. You can sign up. Uh, we have volunteer teams. Love what you're doing in Tennessee. If people in other states, there may already be a volunteer team in your state or maybe start one, maybe in your location. That is the way to really educate and to be, as we talked about earlier, an exponential force multiplier. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw out a quick number that for, to me was staggering. When I took over the state of Tennessee, we had 17 volunteers. That's mm -hmm. it. 17 in the entire state of Tennessee, 17. And I mean, I, I just thought it, there's got to be more people that know about this and there weren't. And so just, just that one starfish, that one volunteer, that one person that finds out about it to go from 17 to 20 to 30 to 50 to hundred, like that, those are huge steps in an organization like this that is not necessarily uh, obvious and in your face everywhere. So, I mean, this is something that it's, it's not the most comfortable thing to talk about, right? It's not a dinner party conversation exactly. usually. So, and people sometimes just want to close their eyes and not see it, but I'll tell you that the whole reason to do this, and I hope that you guys have stayed with us this long, which I, I absolutely love. If you guys are eating this up, you're my kind of people is, <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast, you are my people. So yes. <laughs> I, I love the fact that like the people that see this 
that are our people are the people who are going to jump right in like right. head first, not even like feet first, they head first, like mm -hmm. Nate and I did. And you guys don't have a ton of staff. It's not like you, a massive organization of hundreds of thousands of people, even hundreds of people. These are, these are, it's a very small paid group that you have and a lot of volunteers, like a volunteer army workforce behind you guys. So for me, like I know, and I want to, I want to say this, on, on here so they know sometimes you have to knock on the door more than once to get a response because if you want your dollars to go a long way like they do here in OUR what I love one of the reasons why I love donating is I know that a very high percentage of my money is going towards these operations this aftercare right. these rehabilitation that you talk about it's not wasted on overhead on exactly. huge salaries like look I, Matt came out to San Diego and we paid for his hotel room for one night, guys, one night. It was $199 plus tax. And he was like the happiest guy in the world. I got like this huge thank you email. This is so incredible. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, this, this is savings for the organization. Like, yep. can you imagine that in a corporate organization? It just doesn't happen. And in a lot of charities, it doesn't happen. There's a lot of wasted money and leakage and things like that. So, I mean, I know I, I was told the percentage as I got involved, it's a very, very high. I'm just going to put it that way. I'm not going to throw off the numbers because I, it, maybe it's changed since I, since I found out about a year ago when I took uh, Tennessee. So, but guys, if you want to get involved, this is something that if you're passionate about it, figure out what you can do. Like yeah. you can do something. And, and Matt, I can fly helicopters and airplanes. So if you need that, and I know Jake, Jake, the guy yeah. who I talked about in Florida, he's like, if they need a helicopter pilot, I'm the best one out there. And I said, hey, man, you're talking to the best one. So I don't know if you are. Well, the be best careful one. what you wish for. We've got some investigations in border yeah. regions in the Caribbean where we can't get on the ground. And so we need to be above. So we're ready, Jake. Get ready, yeah. Bill. <laughs> uh, hey, we're ready. And we can head up that task force. I can tell you that. We know we've got a lot of guys that can fly uh, some, you know, we've done some really cool stuff uh, in, in the military. So, um, <laughs> So, so I think like go to OURrescue.org, become a volunteer, go through the training. The training was incredible for me. I, and now it, you're exactly right. You said the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. That's so cool because I was walking down the airport in Atlanta and I saw, I saw trafficking posters on the wall at the airport and I went, whoa, I've never seen these before. And it's, it's that like law of recency, right? It's that stuff in your head. You're looking right. for a, Nissan, a white Nissan Maxima and you see 50 of them on the road, right? And you're like, I've never <laughs> seen this many Maximas before. Or you're looking at a F-150 and that's all you see. It's like yeah. once you open your eyes to this, it's, it's everywhere and you can make a difference. Just that one thing, that one call to that hotline, anything, you can make exactly. a difference. So, and the funds, I talked about it. I love the organization because of what happens to them. So I give, I'm, I'm an abolitionist. I have, I have the white t-shirt. I got the gray t-shirt. It says <laughs> I'm an abolitionist. People look at me like I'm crazy in the gym sometimes like what's this guy wearing what's, what is this thing abolitionist and it's cool because I get to talk about it I get to uh, I get to tell them what it is and, and send them to the website and and kind of open their eyes to what's going on so hopefully we open some people's eyes on this podcast I'm uh, I'm so thankful to have had you on but before you go what I want to ask you is we were at flip hacking live you, we were backstage and you were talking about these flipping shows and things like that. And your daughters don't think you're that cool. So you mentioned something on here where your daughters uh, joke around about the number of times you got arrested overseas. So what did they think when you came home after you spoke on stage at the flipping conference? Did you guys, were, did you become a celebrity at the house? What was the result? 
Well, I definitely became a celebrity at the house and I hope it's okay. I kind of bent it a little bit and I said I was hanging out with all those guys who do the flipping shows because they absolutely love that. But when I educated myself ahead of time, I was trying to tell my daughters, no, 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 the people I'm meeting with at Flip Hacking Life, these are the guys who actually do the work. Yes, there's some good stuff in those shows, but these are the ones who know what it takes in it. But then my daughter said, well, yeah, dad, because these are the same girls that say CIA, whatever, you think you're so cool. Come on, dad, just give me the car keys, please, a little bit of money. Can you hurry already? Yeah. So at the end, I had to say, Yes, I did hang out with the guys on the show. So thank you for letting me get a little bit of credibility with my teenage daughters. Well, now you can take this and say, hey, you know the guy who runs that show, who's on it? Here's a video of me talking to him and Absolutely. he's the flipping guy. So yeah, whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever I can do. And I'll tell you, I'm going to show this video to my kids and say that I was hanging out with a real life hero, <laughs> true celebrity, somebody who I look up through to and is inspiring me to be a better person, a better man, better husband, better father, better follower of God better everything because just the the couple hours that I spend with you, the couple hours that I spend with Tim, the couple hours that I spend with the, the SEALs, all, all of the guys that are working with you, it just, it makes me want to be a better human being. And uh, what you guys are doing is incredible. I, I don't think that I could do it to be perfectly honest with you. And that's, that's really hard for me to say. We think we're Superman. We think we can do everything, but I could not sit across the table from a trafficker like that, like you guys do. So it, it's amazing what you do. I know that if every, every, all the people listening to this podcast could come on here and have a voice and say thank you. They would. So for all of them, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for taking an hour of your day to spend with me. I know you have a lot of things that you could be doing with this hour and hopefully I'm not taking you away from anything important, but I absolutely love the fact that you're continuing to give to this community and share the message. And I know that there's people on this podcast that will change the future of your organization and the world by listening to this and getting involved. So thanks, Well, Matt. thank you so much for all you've done, all you're doing, and all you will do. And that goes for everyone listening and watching as well. This is awesome. I, guys, OURrescue.org, go there. I'm going to, if you guys want to give some money um, and you want to become an abolitionist, things like that, I'm going to put in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to our, um, to, to a link that you can go and, uh, and donate to so that we can say, hey, this podcast is making a difference. We are actually raising awareness, raising money. I want to see how, where we can get that. Let's see where we can get this to so we can really show Tim and show Matt that we're a community that really cares, that wants to give. And, uh, you know, I, I would love to see you guys give and give generously. Oh, we didn't mention before we go, I was about to sign off. I was like, whoa, we raised $150,000 last year. And my mission this year was to figure out how to raise more than that. That was my whole goal. And at the end of the event, I'm, I'm sitting there and uh, Janie Dix was there with her kids and, and her husband. And they were there ready to accept this check. And I, I wrote the check out to Operation Underground Railroad, put the date on it, signed it. And I didn't write out the amount because I was like, ah, we got to beat this. And we didn't beat it yet. So what I did was I got on, up on stage and I said, hey, we got some work to do, guys. I'm going to match anything that anybody uh, offers right now to get this up high enough. And we needed to go we needed to go up pretty high. And you could see it. It was like an auction. People were like $1,000, $500, $300, $300. And it was like, it was like my uncle was giving my family, everybody in the mastermind group, people backstage were coming up and go, I'll give you a thousand. And I was like, I'll match it. It was really cool to see that. And we ended up getting this up to $155,200 and wow. be able to sign that check and give it to Janie. And it, it, the coolest thing is Janie's daughter is hypoplastic left heart. My son is a hypoplastic right heart syndrome. So we had so much in common, both of our kids that have open heart surgeries and her daughter came up on stage and spoke to the crowd about who oh she is, gosh. that she's playing soccer, that she's doing jujitsu like uh, Jocko. It was so cool. And she's, she's has, uh, uh, she needs a heart transplant. It's, it is amazing to see that, that little girl, I think she was nine years old 
and just doing some unbelievable things gave me so much hope and, and uh, excitement for what my son James is going to do uh, in his life. So it was the similarities that we have. Uh, it was so cool to have her up on stage to accept the check with me and Janie and her. It was awesome. It was just like, the Holy Spirit was there. He was working and it was awesome. So uh, $155,200. So over the last year, the last 12 months, we've been able to raise over $300,000, not including all the other giving that our members have done. So like, how much more can we do? Let's see what we can do, guys. All of you that couldn't make it, um, that are doing it. Um, I'm going to put out something with this podcast that um, if you guys do donate at a certain level that I'm going to give you a gift. So let's see what we can do. Um, I've got a plan for this. I just got to run it by Kyle and I'll share it with you guys after this. So uh, Matt, thank you so much for the time. I really enjoyed it. And I learned a lot actually today that I didn't know about OUR and yourself. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. All right, guys. See ya. All right, everybody. That was Matt Osborne, Operation Underground Railroad, just incredible, incredible stuff what they're doing. So at the end of the podcast, we mentioned that I'll have, a, I'll have to talk to Kyle. I'll do something for you guys. So we have some shirts left over from Flip Hacking Live. We ordered a bunch of shirts. We tried to get, um, we tried to get everybody to donate $100 or more so we can give a shirt to every single person in the audience. But there's still, we still have some shirts. So while the supplies are left, so I'm going to drop a, a link to donate in the show notes. And that link is going to be here. I'm going to read it right here. So you guys have it. It's my.ourrescue.org slash fundraisers slash Nashville TAC Tennessee TAC team. And if you're not a military guy, the TAC means a dash. So my.ourrescue.org slash fundraisers slash Nashville dash Tennessee dash team. And if you guys donate on that page and you donate $100 or more, then we'll send you a t-shirt. So what I need you guys to do is after you donate there, send a screenshot or send your receipt. So, so you don't have to put your mailing address on the website, send a screenshot of that or send the receipt to info at house HQ. And in the subject line, just put OUR shirt and we'll mail you out a shirt. So $100 or more, and I'm going to personally mail you guys a shirt. You're going to have to give us your size too. So while supplies last, I think we, we have quite a few shirts. So if we can hit, if we give away all the shirts, we are going to be in a really good position to continue to support Operation Underground Railroad. So uh, you don't have to limit it to $100. It could be $200, $300, $500. If you, want more sh- if you want more than one shirt, $200 will get you two shirts, $300 will get you three, $400 will get you four. So um, go ahead and drop that in there and we'll send you guys out a shirt on me. So um, it's an incredible cause. I absolutely love supporting this, this organization. Every single person that I've met from the company has been incredible. And it is definitely, definitely, definitely a mission that you guys please share with other people, tell them what's going on, open their eyes to this horrible, horrible thing that's going on in our, in our country and around the world. So thanks for listening today, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.